Welcome to Road to Consensus, the podcast designed to help you get smart before Consensus 2019. Here we'll feature speakers past and present who are behind the stories and trends moving this industry forward. I'm your host, Nolan Bowerly, and today we're joined by Ryan Selkis, founder of Masari. So today we have the great pleasure of welcoming back the prodigal son, the original, on this continent anyway, director of Coindesk, uh, Ryan Selkis, currently CEO and founder of Masari. Glad you're here, Ryan. It's great to be back. I don't. I don't know that I'd call myself the prodigal son, though. Well, I um, love you a great deal. So your your imprint was left on this company. So the the, the degree to which we still talk about you, I think, does underline a, a certain prodigious nature. I'm I'm sure only good things. Well, not always good things, Ryan. We also like to drag your name through the mud, but that's all in good fun, and we definitely love you and. Respect the heck out of what you've done. Uh, Masari is a pretty interesting creature in this industry. And the origins are pretty interesting as well. This came about in 2017 as the whole market was exploding and, and the whole world heard the news that you could actually raise money and all you needed was a white paper. Mm-hmm. And this one smart contract had reached scale and it seemed like everyone was doing it. And along came Ryan Selkis with his idea. So take us back to that time and why you thought this was so vital and, and let us know what has come from that, what you've built from that, uh, those heady times. Sure. Um, well, you know, I, I ran CoinDash from early 2016 to mid-2017 uh, after the first Bonkers Consensus Conference, and then last year was a whole whole different animal. And after that, I took a few months off that summer just to kind of figure out what, what I wanted to do next. Pretty quickly realized that I had to figure out the token economy and whether there was anything interesting or if it was all just smoke and mirrors. And what stood out was there wasn't any reliable information resources uh, or data resources on that movement, with the exception of maybe CoinMarketCap. And uh, generally speaking, we, my co-founder Dan and I uh, thought that we could add a hell of a lot more context to these assets, figure out which were actually being used, how investors were making money or not, uh, so who was selling to whom, what the embedded inflation rate of these assets were what the uh, actual utility of the assets were, and uh, ultimately just wanted to come up with a, what we thought was going to be a better, better mousetrap for, for CoinMarketCap. I think Coindesk and, and other editorial-driven organizations were doing a good job on the context, but no one was marrying both the context and the data uh, in, in one platform. So when we, when we created Masari, we recognized that there was an opportunity to build an S&P uh, for crypto. So an entity that would focus on reference data and standards, that would ultimately rate these assets and, and help uh, with benchmarking just so we could start comparing apples to apples and, and, and figuring out how to sift through uh, the entire asset class. And then ultimately offer you know, subscription market intelligence tools similar to you know, what we see in basically every other difficult to understand uh, and, and messy asset class. How could we bring structured information to enterprise users? And whether those are individuals or full enterprise licenses, uh, we think in the next cycle, it's going to be a massive opportunity uh, for whoever wins that market. So you're sitting there in 2017, you're going through a million white papers, really looking through marketing materials that people are making investment choices off of and saying there needs to be some kind of store where this data is there, where people can actually see it. They can find out if there's been any sweetheart token deals, any private sales that maybe you weren't aware of if you did buy it on an exchange in an open market. 
And from there, you decided that there was an opportunity to really open source this disclosure network and open source this ability to have the industry check itself by, let's say, showing best practices and having those projects that were really trying to harness the power of tokenomics, like you said, to harness this power of getting people to contribute to these decentralized platforms and, and work in them to grow them. And you were at that time saying, okay, we're going we're gonna to find a way to get that same energy, but put it into a data platform and have them set the standard, set the benchmark for other platforms to do the same. Yeah. And, and one of the key takeaways early on was you couldn't actually have reliable reference data without some degree of disclosures from the teams that were selling these tokens. Mm-hmm. Uh, inflation is a good example. There's a ton of embedded hidden inflation in the ecosystem right now. You see circulating supply, quote unquote, and uh, at times that excludes treasury tokens uh, from large enterprises uh, that haven't yet hit the market or, or actually circulated. Other times it uh, overstates uh, the amount that that is currently liquid. And if you don't have a better understanding for how and when these central entities that created and sold the tokens are actually unwinding their positions, you don't know what you're buying into because uh, a retail investor that has no clue that Ripple or Stellar or Civic or any of the assets where some token creator has a large slug of treasury tokens, if you don't understand when they're unwinding that, how they're being strategic about uh, ultimately um, relinquishing those, those tokens into the market over time, it's impossible uh, to get a sense for what the fair value of, of, of the currency is, especially in some of the assets where the markets are tremendously illiquid. So we brought this to a few teams early on, and uh, some of the projects like Civic, like Blockstack, had also recognized that this was a problem. This opacity in the market was ultimately going to be negative from a regulatory standpoint, from a consumer protection standpoint. And quite frankly, the good teams wanted to make sure that the people that were holding their assets were going to be in this for the long term so they could build these you know, robust communities and, and, and actually scale their businesses and networks. And so we were able to convince a number of early adopters to opt into this disclosure system and, and work with us to figure out what a mini prospectus of sorts would look like for, for a token holder. Were you ever surprised by a platform that you thought would be reluctant to join such a transparent platform that actually was forthcoming and sought you out and said, we want to get on there? Or was it the ones that you predicted would be um, the right picks and the right sort of fit for what you were trying to do? Uh, I'm actually always surprised by when teams are not transparent because they ran their token sales in, in, in very transparent manners. And then all of a sudden, when they're actually managing the remainder of their token treasuries, some start to get very skittish about sharing any information. And we, and we think that's you know, a, a pretty net negative sign about the health of, of the currency and the ecosystem. Other things equal. Um, I don't think that means that anyone that hasn't participated is is hiding something, but I do think that the teams that are working with us and, and, and proactively sharing this information, whether it's with Masari or just on their own accord and on their own sites, I think uh, you, you you know alarm bells start to go off a little bit when you see teams that are just actively opaque. Uh, so teams that are not currently on the Masari registry, just for example, that I think still do a good job, Aragon is extremely transparent, and they've built a lot of tools to do you know many similar things to, to what we offer with the registry. And Decentraland, same thing. Both have transparency dot their foundations or organizations uh, dot, dot orgs, 
And um, it's basically a dashboard for, for folks to look at what's been going on and, and if there's been any material changes to the roadmap, to the team, to the token supply. And that's what we aggregate for hundreds of assets right now with our research team and 30 assets that are proactively you know, working in lockstep with us to make sure we get all the details right. So you've dubbed the Masari Registry as sort of the start of an Edgar-like system for this ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Now, Edgar, of course, is backed up by the SEC in an enforcement division that would come out and say, okay, this was bad, and we're going to go and proactively do something about it. Obviously, you guys are not trying to create an enforcement wing, but what would happen if you saw on one of your platforms that that they did something that was sort of against um, an ethos or a, a moral standard or an ethical standard that you guys had set? Uh, well, they'd be removed from the, the registry. I mean, we, we lay out the rules for participation pretty clearly in all of our uh, agreements with these teams. And the, the goal for us is really to make sure that everybody is acting transparently on a best efforts basis. So, you know, we're not FINRA or the SEC where, where we're going to levy fines, nor, nor do we think it's appropriate. I think the first step is getting very basic disclosures and reporting standards out in the market and then you know, going from there. I don't think that right now the industry necessarily needs a system where you're levying fines, for instance. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure, sure. Not uh, from not from mm-hmm. an industry body, right? Not from you an know, industry body. That, that's of the course. The SEC is going to yeah, do what yeah, they're yeah. going to do. And all I meant to, to bring up from that was that you do plan on having some kind of, not shaming, but let's say you're cut off from the endorsement of being part of this registry, which really is about saying that you've taken these best practices. You've sort of tried to create a standard in the industry which says, this is how we would define a lockup coin that 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 is not part of uh, the liquid part of the market and stuff like that. Is mm-hmm. that the way to mm-hmm. describe it? Nailed it. Great. So you've also come out with a pretty interesting product recently, which I think will couple with this token registry, because that really covers, let's say, the financial part of this industry. But of course, we are always interested in what the engineers are doing, what the builders are doing, and we have to couple those efforts with, with the wider uh, scope of the growth of this industry. So Unqualified Opinions, which is a, an interesting new product that you've come out with, um, really does bring you back to your editorial days where you're coming in and starting to tell the stories of the people building this stuff. So it's less of a, of a necessarily market exchange flow and token flow and a little bit more about who's building what. Is that an accurate assessment of the, of the new product? Yeah, I think so. I, you know, I also just think it's, it's great marketing collateral for us. You know, that's not to say that we're promoting the folks that come on, but it gets eyeballs on on me, on Masari, on on our the rest of our products. And um, it's you're, you're a big advocate that, that social media, of course, will be a main driver of this industry now and going forward. That it will be different than the industries we've known until now. It won't be a twenty thousand uh, dollar Bloomberg terminal that you'll have to use to get access to this data. What it's going to be is driven by this open source community, and these will be different platforms. And social being a huge part of that. Yeah, and and we try to take an open, collaborative approach uh, in general with with all the information and data partners that, that we, we work with for, for that exact reason. Bloomberg and S&P were built decades ago when telecom was unreliable. And so the, the pipes uh, to Bloomberg and, and the uh, Bloomberg terminals were a fundamentally different product for, for a much, much different market. The uh, S&P or the Bloomberg of crypto, I think, is going to be um, much more social in its nature, and, and, and you're going to have digital natives that expect certain information for free and will pay for tools to actually use that information effectively. So the things that we'll pay for with our Masari Pro product, which is rolling out this quarter, are charting tools, uh, historical data pulls, 
API delivery of data based on certain specifications? Do you need it per second? Do you need it per day? And we'll, we'll take a tiered approach to, to charging for that. And then in addition, the Unqualified Opinions newsletter is a, a subscription product where it's uh, twice per week uh, free for, for kind of general audiences. And then we send three research briefs per week as well. So you'll be joining us at Consensus in May, and one of the things Masari will be taking part in is ChangeLog, which is, I guess you could describe it as something quite similar to the Masari registry, where we're inviting several platforms to give updates on Treasury, to give updates on their development roadmap, and to face questions from uh, an audience that, that might have them. So we're glad to have you as part of that. And, uh, you know, how natural of a fit is that track for you guys? And, and what do you guys hope to get out of that? I think the majority of the teams that are participating right now are already on the Masari registry. And, uh, you know, by the time consensus rolls around, maybe most of them will will, will be on that are, are not already. So because uh, we're, you know, in, in touch with pretty much all of them. And I'm looking forward to that. I think uh, the recordings are going to be, you know, very insightful it's a good first step towards standardizing, you know, quarterly reporting or, or you know, some somewhat regular check-ins uh, from these teams in, in a structured way. And I don't think uh, we or, or anyone else uh, in the industry necessarily is is advocating for a recreation of the existing, you know, financial system and quarterly calls and, and, and whatnot. But in this particular case, I think it's a good opportunity to check in, particularly since the bear market is, it seems to be subsiding. So uh, when, when a lot of the work and energy went into building some of these networks, some of these products, um, was the last 18 months. If uh, a team is coming up short in terms of its its delivery and, and execution in a, a relatively distraction-free environment, I think it's, it's probably a, a red flag for anyone that's in the audience and, and whoever watches the replay. Now, luckily, the teams that you know, I think you know we and and you've been speaking with about filling out the lineup are are pretty good ones. So uh, we're excited for it and uh, happy to host. And so one of the other things we hope to capture with this whole track is that you know, like you said, quarterly reporting, you know, it's on revenues and and things like that on normal systems. But here we are talking about engineering different platforms. So the metrics have to be different. It can't just be about exchange flow and it can't just be about the price of the coin. It has to be actually about who's interested in these platforms, who's contributing to them, and and what kind of community has grown up around them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's it's sort of a big part of this industry having these communities. Masari has its own community that it's cultivated um, online. Tell us a bit more about how you've engaged with that community and 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 what you've got from those people. How how they've helped you contribute to building your own platform. Well, we started uh, with a call to action back last January uh, to get. Any volunteer analysts uh, that were interested in, in, in just really doing research in their own time on these assets to contribute to our, our open data library. And uh, we ended up getting, uh, you know, the, the announcement post that that, uh, that I, I wrote was very unglamorous. It was, uh, we're not paying for this. Uh, we're, we're uh, you know, it's always going to be free. Um, you, it's kind of a thankless job that combines data entry and, and, and writing summaries. But we recognize that a lot of people are doing this anyway. So if you're doing this and you want to learn and from, from a group um, and, and work towards something that's a little bit more mission-driven, then you should you know, come and, and help us out. And we ended up getting over 60 analysts in the first you know, couple of weeks. And now we're up over you know, 200 uh, contributing uh, volunteer analysts. 
And the work that they contribute uh, basically is the backbone of the free information that's available via API for anyone that comes to Masari and, and, and is looking for some standardized disclosures uh, or, or, or biographical overviews uh, of these assets. It's free. It's open. Anybody can, can use it you know, with attribution, and it always will be. We uh, actually just this week uh, hired our, our first analyst from that community, uh, and and many of them have um, have been placed at top funds, uh, other research organizations, uh, you know, crypto startups. So the the network uh, that we've been able to build on that volunteer army that we assembled uh, has has been phenomenal and 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 somewhat unexpected. Because we figured maybe we'd get a few folks, and and some of them would be you know eligible for for you know internships or something like that, and uh, and instead we were completely blown away. And I think um, it speaks to the level of interest folks have in actually drilling deeper and figuring out what's real and what's not, particularly in light of some of the shenanigans in in 2017 that uh, that that led to the full run up and and maybe some of the you know over optimism mm-hmm. uh, for for the asset class given where we are technically. Well, we had Christopher Giancarlo in here last week, and he was pretty uh, happy that they were able to add these future markets to help bring some of that sort of speculative boom energy down to earth so that we can actually start building stuff and and the price would reflect everyone's true assessment of this asset class for now Mm -hmm. and true price discovery. So uh, you seem to be uh, within the same mission-driven experience. So we've touched on the Masari registry. We've touched on the, let's say, market intel that you're providing through the letter. But there's also the data product that you guys have rolled out that continues to get tons of attention and uh, keeps growing daily in, in the types of features and products that you're adding. I think what separates uh, the data tool that you guys are, are, are building is that you've put a lot of choice into the hands of people who are on the platform. So mm-hmm. I think before OnChainFX became such a darling, you really were just given the view that the platform had for you and you had to go with it. There wasn't much you could do to personalize it, but you guys have really added a ton of features to it. So walk us through a few of those new interesting ones that you guys have added, and then I have a few follow-up questions about uh, about what that means and, and how you're going to keep doing that. Sure. You know, I, I guess for starters, I've been pretty outspoken about CoinMarketCap, especially more recently. And, and and by the way, we used CoinMarketCap in the in the very earliest iterations of OnChainFX when it was a prototype and, and kind of the first few months it was live because we pull from a variety of data sources. So what they've been able to build is is incredible. I want to I want to not disparage them uh, and, and, and their historical performance. Yeah, sure. I mean, they came up with one of the great sort of uh, pivots in the industry that no one else saw coming. Everyone before them was kind of wedded to one chain. It was mm-hmm. either you did Bitcoin or you did Ethereum. They were the first to say, I don't care. We're, uh, anything. Yeah, just throw it up. You know, <laughs> That was well, neat. We, no one had thought that way yet. And, you know? and, and I, I think that's great for the game from a couple of years ago. Now, now, the question that we seek to answer is, is that good enough for a professional investment community? And, and is that good enough for retail investors who might actually be relying on this to make decisions with their real worth? Uh, not their game. yeah. It was good when it was a video game. Mm-hmm. Is, is the way that I think about it. And so, uh, what we've spent a lot of time and energy the last you know year, almost year and a half, um, developing our standards around what truly constitutes liquid supply. What are the actual trading volumes uh, and, for these and that assets? Masari's mission to what OnchainFX is doing exactly, and so uh, two defining those terms exactly. Um, two actually came to fruition just in the last week. Um, one is what we call our, our real ten uh, volumes, and we use a, a, a very similar methodology to what Bitwise uh, mm-hmm. uses, um, and what they reported to the SEC. 
a couple of weeks ago in, in, in a pretty thorough presentation that, that highlighted some of the wash trading uh, issues that, that we know about on, on international exchanges and how that's been inflating implied trading volumes on exchange uh, by multiples, right, orders of magnitude at times. And we think that's you know a really good benchmark for people to understand what what are the actual trading volumes for these liquid regulated exchanges, because you can have a market cap that implies you have a billion dollar currency, but if you have ten thousand dollars of daily trading volume, it's not really a billion dollar market cap, right? And so you know, that's that's pretty critical. An extension of that that we're going to be rolling out in the next couple of weeks is order book adjusted market cap, which basically heavily discounts the more illiquid. Uh, currencies. So uh, that would be a little bit like the uh, realized market cap in a way that that Nick Carter has been mm-hmm. proposing and that we can sort of judge the last time this coin moved, the price at which it moved, which really gets into a little bit of, of that. So uh, re- realized cap is different because you're talking about on-chain transactions. And, and, and we love realized cap. We'll, you know, we'll be adding that uh, as well because it's, you know, it, it's a relatively uh, simple poll that no one pays attention to, I've right? Been, it, you, you presented it at the Honey Badger yeah, conference. I mean, I've, you, I've enjoyed you, it a lot. You, you take the, the historical price at the time a block was mined and, and you, know, you multiply the two and then you add up the, the cumulative amount. And that's the total value created uh, for, for these proof of work assets, at least. And um, and to compare that to the the market value, I think is an extremely important exercise. Now, again, it's not going to be relevant for every single asset, but for a good chunk of them, it is. And 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 actually, I just mentioned that when when a Bloomberg analyst was was asking, I I, I referenced that and, and the work that Nick had done and his team. So there's there's other on chain metrics like that, which by the way we pull many of of, of those data points from Coin Metrics now, um, along with half a dozen other uh, data vendors that that ultimately feed into the on chain effects platform. But what is uniquely ours, aside from uh, the real ten volumes, which I think other data services will replicate once they realize how ridiculous it is to not exclude uh, wash trading from from those those metrics. But one thing that I think is and will continue to be pretty unique to us is our uh, various supply tranches. And and that goes back to the registry where how do we help people understand what the total maximum available supply is, what is outstanding today or liquid today, Mm -hmm. um, and what is circulating. And the difference between what is liquid today and held in a token seller's treasury like Ripple which owns 80% of the money supply still, is going to be very different from what's circulating. And in fact, you know, one, one of the really important reports that we released to highlight the importance of getting these metrics buttoned up was our report on Ripple in January, where we found that their market cap was overstated by about $6 billion. And, and that's because uh, services like CoinMarketCap uh, and most others, by the way, not just them, are pulling directly from Ripple's own API <laughs> that they've set up for, for XRP. And um, and it makes it seem as if uh, much more of, of the XRP supply is, is currently outstanding than, than is in reality, or, or at least that is liquid and not encumbered by these contracts. So we've, we've, we've spent a lot of time and energy trying to parse that and actually come up with a, a source of truth so that when index providers try to create something like a basket of top 10 assets that investors can click a button, purchase the basket on a market cap weighted basis, they're actually getting the right allocations and and you're not over investing or over allocating to a certain 
assets uh, maybe unintentionally. And I remember when, when on-chain FX came out, that was the feature that got everyone chatting was the 2050 market cap. And then when there was that, if you counted the 2050 market cap at one point, XRP did go above Bitcoin. And yes. that's what got everyone screenshotting on-chain FX and saying, oh my God, there's a, there's something's going on here. We got to talk about this. And, and Well, and, and in fairness, right next to why 2050 was supply issued, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and, and so if you had looked uh, at the second column, you would multiply the two together and you'd say, okay, well, there's going to be a, a ton of inflation mm-hmm. in this system uh, over the course of the next you know, 10, 15, 20 years. And so what is that actually going to do to my investment? How do, how do I know that the inflation rate for the next year isn't actually going to be 25% because Ripple, the company, is selling $100 million worth of XRP per quarter? Right. So I think Ripple, by the way, I mean, they're, the, the company is actually pretty good at the disclosures uh, that, they, that they make for, um, for how they unwind that position over time. But um, what is more opaque is the fact that when they do sell some of those assets, they're still contractually restricted. So there's, there's volume-based trading restrictions on XRP. And around and around we go because, by the way, some of the exchanges that, that you might be able to liquidate XRP could have inflated volumes. So without a little bit more transparency from Ripple, the company, investors are, are kind of left you know, twirling in the wind with respect to whether that is an asset that is investable based on the amount of new money that's going to flood the market from Ripple, the company. And that, I think, is something that's unique to any token team that has sold a token and still retains a sizable slug of the token in, in their own treasury for future use. It's been a great session, Ryan. Thanks for coming to talk to us about uh, all the great things of Masari. Um, how can people reach out to you? You can reach out to me on Twitter at 2BitIdiot, all spelled two-bit out. Idiot. The famous 2BitIdiot. If you say so. Uh, or, or at Masari Crypto uh, and at OnChainFX, at Masari Crypto for all of our research and daily news coverage, and at OnChainFX if you're looking for more quantitative data and keeping tabs on the different dashboards that we publish. And you can also catch Masari and Ryan. Uh, they'll be emceeing the entire ChangeLog track. ChangeLog will have over 35 different platforms giving 10-minute updates on their own treasury, giving 10 minutes up. 10-minute updates on their development roadmap and taking questions for 10 minutes, which Ryan and the Masari folks will help facilitate. I'll be gentle. Well, that's not always (laughs) the point. That's not always the point, Ryan. Thanks again, man. Thank you. That's it for episode eight of Road to Consensus. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the content, you can get a lot more of it if you register for Consensus at consensus2019.com. Listeners can also use the code ROAD200 and get $200 off a ticket. Join us for our next episode with guest Suzanne Livingston, director of the IBM Food Trust. See you at Consensus May 13th to 15th in New York City.